Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstead, before you leave, did, did you talk about it in the morning show? Do you know what, uh, do you know what tomorrow is? What what tomorrow is? What day? What tomorrow is Saturday the 17th. What anniversary would it be tomorrow? Uh, I could be. I could. Okay, this could be very, very. Um, hmm. This could be very, very important. I could be doing you a big favor here. All right, give it to me. Sweetest day. Ah, I, that doesn't count, I, does I, it? No, well, I I don't know because I, I want to be completely candid here. I as I was coming in, Jordan, who produces the morning sh- the mm-hmm. Scafidi show, said, "Well, what are you doing this weekend?" I said, "Well, I don't have a lot of plans. We're going out to dinner tonight, but I think it's going to be uneventful this weekend. We're scheduled to play some golf, but I don't think the weather is going to cooperate." And he says, "What are you doing for Sweetest Day?" And I said, "What? <laughs> sweetest what? Uh, you know?" Yes. The, 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 in, in all fairness. Um, I would like to think that you know being with me every day yes, is sweetest day, you know. But but it is that is kind of one of those hallmark holidays, you know. Really, I mean, I I, I get some stuff, but you know, I no, I I, I did not have any specific <laughs> plans for that. Hopefully, that's not going to trip me up too much. You yeah. don't you don't do stuff for no, sweetest day either. No, 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 not even not even going to think about it. Right. <laughs> well, no, now you're going to think about it because oh, yeah, I put right, it in your right, mind. Right, but you're, right, no, right. you're not going to stop off on the way home and buy like a sweetest day card nope, or something like no, that. Sir. No, Nope, I'm 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 not either. You know, it's we'll we'll just we'll we'll do nice stuff, but no, we will not observe that. So, but in any event, for for those for those of you who do um, or are expected to acknowledge Sweetest Day, it's tomorrow. So, <laughs> guys, you have now yeah, been warned. Or, get on your horse, right, right? Or or ladies, you know, now you've got that little thing. You can sit there and just kind of wait to see if there's some Sweetest Day surprise, mm-hmm. and if not, just kind of call their attention to it. <laughs> I'm just here to help. Actually, that's kind of the theme of the program today. I'm, I'm sort of here to help, and it's it's a little bit of an eclectic Friday program. Um, we're going to do some heavy stuff, but then we're going to do some lighter stuff as well because, Lord knows, I think we all um, need it. It's also going to be one of those days where I'm working on some of the topics, and I understand that even within the same topic, I am going to make some people happy, and then even that same topic, irritate them about other stuff. So... I don't know. Maybe that makes for an interesting show, but get ready. Here's the deal. So, I did not watch the debates live last night. I had something more important to do. My uh, wife's grandson is on the freshman football team at Hamilton High School and had a football game last night. So I went to the freshman football game, and I will tell you something here. It was darn chilly. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, there was there was like a thirty mile an hour wind out of the northwest, and the football game was like five thirty to seven thirty. And sitting on those cold high school aluminum bleachers with a thirty mile wind out of the northwest, kind of pounding you. I, I'm wearing my parka. I'm wearing my winter boots. I've got my ski cap on, and it was still darn chilly, but well worth it. The team, his team, fell behind twenty two to nothing, but came back, made a game of it. They ended up losing twenty eight twenty four. But it, it was kind of an entertaining sort of game, so I had a lot of fun, but I did not get a chance to watch the debate live. So I came home last night and I I read some summaries of it. And then I I started going back and watching some of the highlights. And I say that with quotation marks uh, about both of those. Here is my take on the dueling debates. And I want your feedback. Savannah Guthrie, who is one of the anchors of today, the Today program, she is getting 
all sorts of well, it, her, her you, you either loved her performance or you hated her performance. Um, for for some, particularly people who are huge fans of President Trump, it's oh this you know what she didn't let him talk. She was grilling him, etc. She was asking him all these questions. She wasn't allowing him to explain his answers. She was cutting him off. She was rude. She was aggressive, etc. And on the other hand, if you're not necessarily a fan of President Trump, the performance of Sarah Guthrie, of Savannah Guthrie was, oh, that she was great. She wasn't letting him do what he tried to do, run roughshod over the, over Chris Wallace like he did a couple weeks ago. She was asking him the uncomfortable questions. She was putting his feet to the fire. This is exactly what we need, questions of the free world. So people were split one way or the other. On the other hand, and this, I think, was extremely predictable. If you watch the Joe Biden-George Stephanopoulos debate, it's kind of like a snooze fest. George Stephanopoulos, it was one softball after another. Vice President Biden, that's an outstanding tie. Where do you get those? And, and do you pick them out yourself, or does somebody choose them? I mean, it was, it was much more of a traditional sort of interview fashion, but with one or two minor exceptions, maybe pushing him gently on, are you going to pack the Supreme Court? It was it was a Biden love fest orchestrated by George Stephanopoulos. And again, it, it, this is split. If you watch that and you're a Joe Biden fan, you say, oh, Stephanopoulos did this great job and, and Biden did this great job. And if you're on the other side of the aisle, it's my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, we're he, they're just giving him all these softballs. Here is my take on this. And this is what I want to discuss with you. I did not mind Savannah Guthrie grilling President Trump at, at all. I think that if you want to be the leader of the free world, you should be you, you should be challenged in in especially if you're running for reelection. I think it is perfectly fair to challenge you on different issues. And I think if you decide that you want to take left turns or right turns and try to not answer the question, I think it is perfectly appropriate for a moderator to try to pin you down. So I I actually, was she a little bit rude from time to time? Yes, she, she was. I, I think you could say that. But at the same time, I think she was doing what she is supposed to do, which is you know try to get people to answer the questions. My beef is not with the way Savannah Guthrie handled the Trump moderating the the Trump town hall. On the other hand, the real problem isn't that Savannah Guthrie was too hard on President Trump. The real problem in my mind was that ABC's George Stephanopoulos, he, he was, again, and it's predictable, but he was so very, very soft. There wasn't an effort to try to pin Joe Biden down, to try to push him, to try to make him focus, to try to make him ask questions. They didn't ask him one question about the Hunter Biden thing. Now, again, if you listen to my program yesterday, I'm not sure what a big, how big a deal it is, but how can you not push him on that when that's this huge story that's there? That's where I think the debates really failed. Not Savannah Guthrie's pushing the president. I think that's completely appropriate. I think it was the complete and total failure of Joe Biden to be pushed. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
What did you think about the competing town halls and in particular the way they were handled? Again, I don't think Savannah Guthrie was out of line at all, and I, I don't think the president did a particularly great job, at least at some points, in fielding some of her questions. I didn't mind her pushing him. I would have liked to have seen something similar on the other channel, and you didn't get it. 855-616-1620. At least you didn't get it, in my opinion. What do you think? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the problem with the Trump Guthrie thing was the format was a town hall with voters' questions. We barely got any questions from voters because she wouldn't stop talking and interrupting. Um, Jeff, Trump supporter here. I watched Joe Biden. It was like Mr. Rogers talking with Mother Teresa or having a cup of coffee or tea with Angela Lansbury. Well, I guess that, that, that's, that was my point here. Um, you would have liked to have seen Stephanie push Biden a little bit on different sort of issues. And, of course, you, you got none of that. Jeff, I agree with your assessment of the town hall shows. However, the contrast is alarming. I watched both. It was like watching the home run derby with Biden facing his high school baseball coach and Trump facing Josh Hader. Um, yeah, I, and to see, I, I guess that's and, and that's that is my only point. I, I don't mind Trump. I don't mind Trump having to face Josh Hader. I think you should have to do it. I think, I mean, the real failure was, again, it was George Stephanopoulos in, in not deciding to push Biden. And that, of course, I think plays into some of the things that we talk about frequently, the idea of media bias that's out there and the the, the, the double standards. Now, do I think the town halls changed anything? No, but I thought it would have been a lot more interesting if you would have had uh, George Stephanopoulos take the same approach that Savannah Guthrie took. All right. John in Milwaukee. John, you're in WTMJ. Yeah. Um, the thing about if you, Biden wasn't pushed about his son. Uh, I can find fault with not questioning him harder on other issues. But then again, Hunter Biden is not running for president of the United States. So what difference? He could be a felon. That makes no difference. Well, I mean, Why look, should it matter? Well, I'll, I'll answer your I mean, thanks for calling, John. I'll, I'll answer your question. Look, I, I'm not one of these guys that has gone down the, the, this rabbit hole. I'm the guy yesterday saying I have real trouble with the, this whole New York Post story and the circumstances behind this computer showing up and all that. So, look, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that's going down that rabbit hole. Having said that, though, if especially given the issues that have been raised against President Trump involving nepotism and you know using the White House to try to enrich your, your family business and your kids' business and things like that. And I said, if, if it is the case, theoretically, that, look, I think it's very clear, Hunter Biden traded on his father's name to get a lot of money out of this, this company from the Ukraine. I, I don't think anybody can dispute that. So I guess the question would be, if Joe Biden knew about that, if he were a party to that, 
And if he helped aid and abet that in any way, well, then then maybe you have an issue. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that's the case or not, but I, I think at least it's fair, especially given the stuff that came out in the New York Times on the New York Post the other day. I think it would have been fair to at least broach the subject with him and say, all right, there's these reports that, you know, you ended up having a meeting with this guy from from China who had these associations with Hunter Biden. Did you do that? You know, what is the source? How do you respond to these things? It is at least in some circles, it's a big story. And I think it would have been fair to push him on it. Do I think it's going to change too many people's minds? No, but but that's why. That's why I think it would have been a fair question. If you're asking President Trump about, okay, you know, QAnon and that type of things, which, by the way, some people think that that was an extremely unfair thing to do. I, I don't. I, I mean, I, and again, I, I think President Trump had a, had an opportunity to, again, get, get past this white supremacist thing. And I, all I can figure out is that he, he just doesn't want to say anything that might alienate some of his supporters. So he he soft soaps this the, the QAnon groups and things like that. He had a chance to just come out and say, look, I'm I, I'm not into this this big kind of conspiracy stuff that's there. But he, he failed the chance. I thought Savannah Guthrie was fine to push him on that. I did not think that was an unfair question at all. But at the same time, again, you've got that going on on one channel, and you've got George Stephanopoulos sitting there talking about how, well, again, not even bringing up that issue because, heaven forbid, I might want to, I don't know, I'm afraid of offending Joe Biden. Again, I think it's fair to ask tough questions of the leader of the free world or the man who wants to be the next leader of the free world. I have no problems at all with them being pushed. And in the case of President Trump, it's very, very clear that, like many politicians, you know, when he's asked a particular question, especially one that he doesn't really like, he wants to go off and he wants to answer some other question. She tried to hold her its feet to the fire. Is it a fair criticism of her performance to say that she made it as much about her as about the different people in the town hall. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair thing. Uh, Jeff, I don't have a problem with Savannah Guthrie pressuring President Trump, but we should expect the same from George Stephanopoulos to pressure Joe Biden if he's a presidential candidate, which in fact he is. The same standard should apply. Um, yeah. Jeff, well, you have a liberal media on both channels. Why get a liberal to look bad when he is your choice? Well, I think that, you know, there's, there's an element of, of that that's there. Jeff, I didn't like the, uh, head bobber behind Trump. Um, tell me that wasn't a plant. Well, you know, you always have that going on there. Um, Jeff, there is no need to grill someone who doesn't tell 15,000 lies. Biden is an honest man who pays his taxes. Trump is a train wreck. Well, I, I think there's plenty of issues that you could have pushed Joe Biden on, and, and you didn't have that. I mean, again, it was it was softball versus hardball, and, and Trump should have expected that. But and I have no problem with it being hardball. He would have liked to have seen more from the, the Biden push. Um, just why, Jeff, why is the focus of the, mo- on the moderators of debate or hosts of town halls? To me, these people should just function as referees in sports. When you talk about the game the next day, you should be talking about the performance of the teams, not the refs. The moderators should get to act as invisible as possible. Now, the moderators would say yes. 
but our goal is also to try to keep the train running and keep people focused. And if you have a candidate who decides that they're going to go off the rails, our job is to try to bring them um, back. Jeff, would the treatment have been the same if they were at the same town hall? Interesting, interesting question. My guess is the treatment would have been the same. Now, again, at the first debate, there, there's no question. Chris Wallace was much tougher on Donald Trump than he was on Joe Biden. Now, you might say, well, that was because Trump wasn't playing by the rules. Um, so bottom line of all this is I don't think it changed anybody's mind. If you didn't see it, I encourage you to go back and, you know, you don't have to watch the hour on ABC or, or the hour and a half on ABC or the hour on, on NBC. You don't have to watch the whole thing, but you watch some of it. And you get an idea as to the, the two different approaches that were out there. I'm not criticizing Savannah Guthrie. Um, I just I would have liked to have seen more out of George Stephanopoulos. But, of course, when they announced that it was going to be him that was doing the questioning, you pretty much knew what it was that you were going to get. Jeff Wagner on W. TMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Discover the Pella difference at PellaWI.com. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a, it is a really interesting piece, and of all places, the New York Times. We, um, we talk a lot on this program about COVID-19 and the pandemic. And on my show, I try to focus a lot on, on what's going on in Wisconsin because that affects us. You know, what what do we do? How, where do we get the contact tracing from? Should we close stuff down? All those different things. And I try to put it in the perspective, again, of what is going on in our state and our communities because we live here. But one of the things that I, I think it's easy to lose sight of is that this this is not a problem which is exclusive to Wisconsin or to the United States. I think sometimes, particularly when we view all this stuff through a political prism, oh, this is Donald Trump's fault, oh, this is so-and-so's fault, whatever, we, we lose sight of the fact that this is a worldwide pandemic. And there's a couple pieces in the New York Times, and, and I, I just highlighted one, um, really highlighting that, that COVID-19 is a worldwide problem that no country really seems to know how to deal with. And I've got a link to a, a big story today talking about how there's been a resurgence in France and, and how they're just wrestling with what, what do we do? They don't want to shut down the country again, but they don't want to know what to do. It, you know, Great Britain is having the same problem. Germany is having the same problem. So the bottom line is... Um, as I as I point out in my Twitter feed, you know I don't think a vaccine can come soon enough. And yes, if my doctor recommends it, I'll be the first in line for that vaccine. But if you want to get a worldwide perspective, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, Bruce Springsteen, in the news, the boss says he's born to run. He says if President Trump is reelected, he's moving to Australia. He's packing his bags. He's heading to Australia. 
I'm not sure if this October surprise is a good thing for Joe Biden or not. You know, I don't know. Do people vote based on the fact that, oh, my favorite celebrity is going to be heading out of town? He's going to be leaving the country if if Joe Biden, if my guy loses or if my guy wins. If you want to see the interview with Springsteen, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I think, again, this is one of these categories where. Having done this show for a long time, I think some of these celebrities would just be smart to kind of keep their mouths shut about that. I, I, I still remember, was it Barbara Streisand who was was back, um, it was 2004 when President Bush was up for re-election. And Barbara Streisand and a whole bunch of her friends were talking about, hey, if, if George Bush is re-elected, we're moving. And George Bush was re-elected. And guess what? They're still in their compounds in Malibu. The other thing is, if you say you're going to move, you, then you should do it. Now, I don't think that Bruce, I mean, right now, if you believe the polls, you know, President Trump is not going to be reelected. So Bruce Springsteen won't have to worry about moving. But at the same time, it's like, really? I mean, that this this is it. I'm moving if I if my guy loses. You can see that story if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. Going, going, gone. The public school system in the state of Wisconsin, school districts get get money based on the number of pupils, get money from the state, based on the number of pupils that, that attend, right? I mean, it, it makes sense. So there is a huge incentive for the school districts to figure out how to have kids enrolled. It's one of the reasons why in any given year, right before the, the deadline for enrollment, you know, you'll hear, for example, you'll hear MP, MP, um, Milwaukee Public School System, they, in years past, they've run ads encouraging people to, you know, register your kids for school. And, and the reason is, number one, they're trying to get kids into school. And number two, they're trying to get them into kids in school by a certain time so they can, so they can qualify for the money. If they don't have kids, they don't get as much money. Well, this year, the numbers are just out, and the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction is announcing that um, overall enrollment in public school districts has dropped 3% across the state for this year. The state education agency reported that a little bit more than 25,000 fewer school, fewer students were attending public school districts this fall than last fall. So, I mean, they've lost 25,000. Now, this continues a trend that has been going on for the last couple years of of enrollments decreasing. But this is by far the biggest. Now, the the biggest category out of that 25,000, a lot of them came from kindergarten, where, you know, 4 and 5K where the parents are not required to send their kids to to school, not required to send the kids to kindergarten. And so what they're seeing is in the COVID world, lots of people are just opting out. They're, they're choosing not to send their kids, and so those kids aren't counted. So that number might be a little bit high because, again, of the kindergarten factor. But there's no question, there's no question that people – are making other sorts of, of choices. And the, the choice is that they're taking the kids out of the public schools and they are sending the kids to the private schools, the parochial schools, the, the church, uh, the, the choice schools. And that is coming at the expense of the public school system. Now, I think it's pretty clear what's motivating a lot of parents. And again, the, the, they don't have the data yet, so it's, it's pretty much anecdotal. But I think that there are a lot of parents 
who once they found that the public schools were in many, many, many cases going to be going virtual this year, like MPS. MPS has been virtual from the beginning. Other schools have been in and out. And I know there's some public schools that have been, you know, five days a week in person, but it's been varied across the board. I am not going to be surprised if it comes back. And if you look at where the greatest losses are in these different school districts, it's going to be school districts where the parents found out that the learning was going to be virtual. They didn't like it and they wanted to find other alternatives um, including like the private schools or the parochial schools or the choice schools where you would be having that in-person instruction. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's, if you accept my premise that that's what's going on, and I'm, I'm willing to discuss it, but I think I'm pretty clearly right on that. Here's the big question. If and when, and I don't know when the schools are going to open up, but if and when more of the public schools start swinging back to actual in-person instruction instead of virtual learning, do you think parents who've pulled their kids out of the schools because of that virtual learning, are they going to be coming back? Or is this a permanent change? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My sense is... Once you lose the kids, once the public school systems lose the kids to, again, other alternatives, most of those kids aren't coming back. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And that's that, I think, is one of the permanent effects that you're going to have from, from this pandemic. Again, without getting into the merits of whether or not they should have stayed virtual all along, I think that virtual learning has caused at least some parents to pull their kids, and my sense is those kids are not coming back. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, you really want to tick off your homeroom teacher? Don't show up on school count day. That makes everybody mad. Yeah, the the amount of money that school districts get is based on how many kids are in school or registered as of a particular day. The the new numbers are out, and this year three percent fewer kids were enrolled in public schools than the previous year. Now some of that is is four and five k kindergarten, four and five k where it's not required that the kids go to school and parents are just voluntarily keeping the kids back. But a, a lot of the rest of that is people who are moving their kids from public school to private school. I believe the big reason for that is because many of the public schools, the private, but the private schools, the choice schools, et cetera, the parochial schools, they made a decision that they were going to be in person, not virtual learning. The question to me is, you know, when and if the public schools come back, and I think that that is a big question. Who who knows? You look at some of the stuff from some of these union leaders somewhere in places across the country. They're saying they they don't want they don't think that they should resume in person instruction in classrooms until after COVID is gone. And as we've talked about before, I don't know that we're ever going to have COVID gone. I think COVID might be with us forever, even after you get vaccines, at least if not forever, with us for years and years in one fashion or another, just like the flu is with us from year to year. And yes, I know COVID isn't the flu, but I mean, are we really going to shut down schools to in-person instruction um, for, for years 
because of concerns about COVID? And if so, are parents going to put up with that? My answer would be no. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, my feelings are that people are going to public, um, to private schools because the teachers there are actually uh, teaching the kids and want to be personally with them. Um, I don't think that the uh, people are that are in uh, private or parochial schools now will ever go back to public because they think now, as I think, my son went to a Catholic grade school and high school. There's a lot of money, but it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the... Uh, private and parochial education system cares more for the for the kids than they do uh, in the uh, public system. The public system seems to be caring more for the uh, teachers and the union. So, so your the sense is once the, once the parents have, have pulled the trigger and removed their kids from the public school system, you just don't think the majority of them are going to ever be coming back? I think that uh, that's a big selling point. I think that they're going to see a big difference between uh, the uh, – relationship between the parents and the kids and the teachers than they do in the public schools. The public schools are more of the teachers than the unions. Okay, thanks and for the call. I pre- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mike. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I agree with your premise. Um, we took our fifth grader from public school in Green Bay to the private Catholic system. We found there to be a big difference in real educational focus. We will not go back. Now, again, that, that's an anecdotal thing. It, it's just, you know, in this case, it's, it's one of the texters. But I think it's one of the things that, that's driving that. Jeff, you're not taking into account the parents' homeschooling. The families I know that have changed this year are all being homeschooled, not moving to parochial. Well, okay, that, then, then, you know, add in homeschooling into that effect. I mean, I guess the question becomes, once you start doing the homeschooling and if you find that, all right, we, we've been successful with that, are are you going to go back and send the kids back into the, the public school system? Maybe you're more likely to if you've been homeschooling, but maybe if you find it works, you won't. 855-616-1620. Is this something that's permanent or is it just a blip? And the reason I bring it up is because it's a big deal. I, I mean, you... You you lose three percent, even with all those little caveats that I'm talking about. You know, you lose three percent, and, and and if it's if that continues, you know, you, you lose three percent this year, lose three, four, five percent next year, lose another three, four, five percent next year. You're, you're starting to talk big numbers, Roger in Milwaukee. Hi, Roger. You're on WTMJ. Hello. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, I think that you are not taking into consideration the economic impact uh, mm-hmm. to the family. Uh, I do agree that a number of them, in fact, uh, I do consulting for schools, both public and private, and the public schools have lost a number of students this year, and a lot of them went to the private schools. But on both sides of the ledger, we are planning for those students to leave the private school and go back to the public sometime during this year if the public's open them up. So I actually think that probably two-thirds will go back to the public schools, and there'll be some that'll say, wow, I like this education system better, or I like the way that uh, the smaller class sizes, or whatever reason, they'll stay in the private school. 
why do you think they're going to go back? Why, I'm, just, I'm curious. Why, why do you think that, let's say you've, you've had, you've, you pulled your kid out, you pulled your fifth grader out of public school, you've put them into the, the private school setting or a choice school setting, they're doing well, um, and then let's say, let's say next, next fall, we, we're, we've got a vaccine, we're ready to open up the schools again. Why do you think that they pull them out of that private school setting that they've done well at for a year and send them back to public schools? Uh, two reasons. One is uh, the economics to mm-hmm. the family. Sure. Cost money to put the, the child in the private school. And, you know, it's a sacrifice that some parents are willing to make, and I just think that uh, others, not necessarily. Right, right. The other, this, the other factor is, it, like it or not, public schools have more money and they have a few other additional opportunities mm-hmm access to uh, yeah. uh, contest, access to co-curriculars, those kinds sure. of things. Okay. No, I th- th- thanks. For you and you could, you you could very well be right. And and again, I, I look. I I'm not predicting. I don't want anybody to listen to this segment and make me and hear me predict that I, I think fifty percent of the kids that are in public schools are suddenly going to to bail on that. I I do. I I don't know. I I think that you know if the parents are invested enough to say you know this virtual, we don't like the virtual learning, and, and so we're we're moving to a place where we can get the in person instruction. And you move, and the kids, your child starts to thrive there, I guess I, I think more and more parents, if you cared enough to say, look, we don't think virtual works, so we're going to pull them out and we're going to put them in an in-person thing, and if the child's able to thrive, I, I guess I, I don't see that parent necessarily saying, okay, well, you've been here for a year, that's great, now we're going to pull you back and we're going to send you into the public, back into the public school system. I think there's a percentage of those kids who are who are gone for for good. And again, I'm not criticizing the public schools for their decision to go virtual in this particular thing. That's a discussion for another day. But there are, I think, effects of that, and you're starting to see that play out. And I guess this is one of those things where, where only time can tell. But for a lot of school districts across the state, because of the formula they use, the decision to go virtual has cost them and will cost them a bunch of money moving forward. That's something that nobody can argue about. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to the program. One of the themes today is going, going, gone. And by the way, this, on Friday shows, we, we we tend to lighten it up just a little bit because I mean, look, I all week long we talk about social justice issues and we talk about COVID and we talk about the election and and, and stuff. It's on everybody's nerves. I, I understand that, and so I, I try to consciously sort of work on lightening it up a little bit as as we move through the five o'clock the the show on Fridays. So here, here's the deal: going, going, gone. Now the other day, I was in a I was in a restaurant. Um, my wife and I were out to dinner with our friends Chuck and Tom and Donna, and the waitress comes up and she's taking the drink orders, and my my friend Donna says, "I'd like a diet coke." And the waitress says, we, we don't have 
Coke products. We we have RC products. Is that okay? And interestingly enough, my friend Donna said, no, it's not okay. And then she proceeded to order like a martini or something like that. I thought, that's kind of interesting. We go from Diet Coke to, you know, whatever. But but she was very, very adamant. She says, no, I, you know, when I'm drinking diet, I was asking her about that. She said, I, 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 I only like a particular type of soda. I don't like the RC products. <clears throat> I, I like Diet Coke, which is interesting because I, I'm that way too. I, um, if if they have alternatives, like I mean, I will order always order a diet coke. And if the if they say, well, you know, we don't have coke products, we've got is diet Pepsi okay? And I will say uh, it's okay. And to me, I, I taste a huge difference, and I much prefer diet coke. And the same thing's true with like the RC products. I mean, I I'll drink the other stuff, but I have a very strong preference. My friend Donna, well, she was like, no, I, if if you don't have that, I'm I'm not drinking it. I bring this up because. Things are, are changing in the whole area of, of sodas. Um, the first or one of the very first diet sodas that was on the market, it goes back to 1963. It was it was something made by Coca-Cola called Tab. Gru, do you, do you know Tab? Have you ever had Tab? No, you've never had Tab. But you know, right, Tab was when they, when they, when fir- when they first came out with Tab. They, they made it with saccharin, which was an artificial sweetener. And, and Tab developed this really loyal following. And, and then later on, um, you know, the, the diet cola things like kind of took off and, and, you know, Coke made diet Coke and then all the ver- various variations <clears throat> that they had of it. And you had diet Pepsi and stuff. But, but Tab had this extremely loyal following. Such a loyal following that even though very, very few people bought it, the people that bought it, they, they, they call them tab heads, the people that bought this stuff were, were just, they were adamant about it, and they, they would constantly pressure Coca-Cola not to, to do away with this because they just, they loved their tab. And like I say, there weren't very many of them, but they were in, incredibly passionate about it so passionate that even though the market share for tab had had dropped to almost nothing for example i've got the numbers um last year a tab made up 0.03 percent of of the of coca-cola products 0.03 percent it was just a fraction of it but they they kept making it because People felt so strongly about it, and they didn't want to alienate that small but incredibly loyal group of people who did it. Well, all right, what what happened is, and the reason we're bringing this up is, Coca-Cola announced yesterday that uh, Tab Tab is gone. They're they're going to stop making this. They say, look, this has been one of the casualties of of the pandemic and COVID nineteen that they're. They're going through like layoffs and they're doing restructuring. And what that means is that they're <clears throat> going to be, they're going to be looking at some of these brands that have been underperforming. And what they're going to do is they're going to like get rid of these, these brands. Like I say, Tab was Coca Cola's first diet soda, did well in the 1970s, but it's been pretty much on the decline since, since then. But they, they kept doing it in order to make a certain percentage of the people happy so now now tab is going away and it's going away with a lot of the other sort of underperforming coke products but none of which has the kind of cachet 
of, of TAB. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The thing that really amazes me about this story, and it kind of dovetails on my, my friend Donna, was the strong brand preference that people have when it comes to things like sodas. Like I say, my, my friend Donna wanted a Diet Coke. When they didn't have Diet Coke, she wasn't willing to go to the alternative RC. It's like, okay, give me, give me an alcoholic drink. Um, Coca-Cola, even though almost nobody was drinking Tab for decades, Coca-Cola made the decision that we were going to continue to produce this because even though there's almost nobody drinking it, the people that are drinking it just absolutely love it, and we don't want to irritate them by getting rid of it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you have that kind of brand loyalty when it comes to sodas? I mean, if if you go in and you, and you want that Diet Coke or you want the Coke and they tell you, no, we only have Pepsi, are you going to take that Pepsi? If they tell you, you know, I, I, I want... I want my Fresca. I want my Mountain Dew. No, I, I, you know, oh, you've got Fresca or you've got Mountain Dew. You don't have Sprite. You know, I, do you have that kind of brand loyalty or is just, is one pretty much the same as another? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And then there's a larger point here as well. 855-616-1620. Do you have brand loyalty when it comes to sodas or is it, look, I really don't care. Whatever is cheap. I'm at the store. Uh, there's three 12 packs of Diet Coke that you can buy for 11 bucks. There's three 12 packs of Diet Pepsi that you can buy for nine bucks. I'm going with the Diet Pepsi. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. After after six decades on the market. Coca-Cola announcing this week that they're they're doing away with Tab, which was their original diet soda originally made with saccharin. Um, people are very very upset about it, but it ties into this larger issue of is is one is one soda the same as another? Is one diet soda the same a, as another? Let's start with Sherry in Milwaukee. Hi, Sherry. Hi. How are you? Real well, thank you. What's up? What do you think? Good. Well, I um, sort of had a sinking feeling this was coming during the early days of COVID. I would really search the shelves looking for a tab, and I could not find it. I would go from store to store. I mean, I've been drinking it since I was in elementary school in the 70s. Okay. So I was, I love it. I introduced my kids to it, their friends, and I would check out at the grocery store, and some of the young um, baggers would ask what it is, and I'd have to tell them it's the best soda ever. So I don't know. It's just a very, very sad day. What... Okay, now obviously you, you've had other diet sodas, I would assume, Diet Coke, Diet mm-hmm. Pepsi, those sort of things. What is it What is it about mm-hmm. Tab that, that made it so special? That aftertaste, that <laughs> great saccharine. And what else do people drink when they lie in the sun covered in baby oil? It's just like the, the symbol of the 70s and 80s. It's just really devastating. <laughs> you know, it's funny you should say that. It, it has been a long time since I had a Tab. But you know what? What I remember is this this aftertaste from it. That's exactly. And you, yes. you, but you like the aftertaste, huh? <laughs> I love it. I love it. What did Mrs. Robinson drink? Wasn't she a tab head too? I, it's yeah. just so good. It's just such a symbol. <laughs> okay, so that what that means is you're you're going to be rushing out to try to find some places to buy it so you can stock up on the on the last remaining ca- cases of tab that are out there, huh? 
And now I can't find Fresca either. I mean, yeah, they, they, <laughs> what am I going to do? They're taking your childhood away, Sherry. I'm sorry to be they the bearer really of brand news. Thanks they for the are. call. Right. Yeah, I know. It's funny that she does mention the aftertaste. I mean, I, I, it's been decades since I've had a tab, and, and I do. It, it's, it's kind of... I'm going to describe it as sort of a tinny aftertaste. That's what I kind of remember. And I, I might not be doing it justice, but like I say, I'm a Diet Coke guy. 855-616-1620. Uh, Katrina in Madison. Katrina, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I just wanted to say I am definitely a soda uh, fanatic when it comes to Diet Coke. And it goes beyond just turning down Diet Pepsi in a restaurant I have uh, certain establishments that I prefer their Diet Coke over others. Yeah. So for example, Madison, we have the Sonic Drive-In. I always get their Diet Coke over the McDonald's Diet Coke because I think it tastes different and better. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that, Katrina, because I have a text from somebody who says that all they drink is Diet Coke, but they prefer their favorite Diet Coke is the Diet Coke they get at McDonald's. <laughs> you know, so it's, it isn't, you know, they're, so they're, I know, I don't know if they've yeah. ever had the Sonic, but they're like, no, I, I go out of my way. I don't, I actually, it's funny you should mention this because we, we had this, this conversation. We, we drink Diet Coke at our house and, um, I like the Diet Coke out of cans. My wife recently started purchasing some of the Diet Coke in the plastic bottles because she thought even though the bottles cost more, you know, we, we don't throw anything out. You know, you can seal them up and put them back in. I think they taste differently. I prefer the stuff out of the cans to the stuff out of the bottles. I'm totally with you. I, I don't like drinking out of the bottle, but it's the cans for me as well. Were you ever a tab head? Did you ever go down that route or no? No, I didn't like the taste of tab, so no, oh. <laughs> didn't do that. Thanks but I well. respect that you know that's something they really enjoy and they don't want to see it leave. So. Oh yeah, no, you have you have distinctive taste. No, no, thanks for the call. I mean, it, it took me the longest time to develop a taste for diet soda. I mean, when I when I grew up. You know, diet soda wasn't that big a thing, you know, and you really, you, you had the tabs and stuff like that, but it, it wasn't something that you, you would find out there commonly. And, and then it, it took off, and I, I started drinking that. And, and now, if I were to ever have, like, a regular soda or something, it just tastes so sugary and so sweet that it's kind of like, yuck. Jeff, in high school, Diet Coke came out. I said out loud to my girlfriends, why do we need Diet Coke? We have tab. Well, not much longer. Uh, Brenda on the northwest side. Brenda, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Happy Friday. Happy um, Friday to you. Yeah, my mom, she drank tab when I was growing up, and I am in love with diet caffeine-free Pepsi. Diet caffeine-free Pepsi. So you got no calories, you got no caffeine. Boy, there, there's, there's, you got nothing <laughs> going on in that one, huh? Except the fizz. <laughs> except, except, you know, it's funny. I could never get into the. I, I, I would. It would probably be much healthier to drink the caffeine-free stuff. I, that tastes differently. That tastes different to me than like the the regular diet Pepsi or the regular diet Coke. I, I just. I, I haven't been able to get into the caffeine-free stuff, even though I recognize it would probably be healthier for me if I did it. Yeah, because it does raise your heart rate up a little. So, <laughs> I, and there is a difference. Yeah. Between the diet Coke caffeine free and the diet Pepsi, so yeah, it, no, it, um, it, and they're not making the cans right now, so I'm kind of bummed about that. They stopped making the can. I have to buy those dumb bottles, and they're hard to get open. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, d- during the during the pandemic, they've stopped making cans, huh? Is that the deal? Yeah. Yeah, just that that product. 
Yeah, it's, and thanks. No, it's it's interesting. I mean, that's that has been one of the effects of the pandemic. There, there's a there's a huge demand on on cans, um, just because th- they they stopped producing a lot of stuff during the pandemic, and and now what's happened is that they're going back online and they're producing the stuff that there is the most demand for. So some of the more obscure products, they're they're sort of down the line. Let's talk to. Um, Eric in Belgium. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, hey, I just wanted to make a point of what you just talked about, the supply shortage in the cans. That exactly, that's exactly what I heard was um, the they're pulling the, you know, the slow-selling cans right. or brands from the shelf just so they can focus on, you know, the, the main sellers. So, but uh, I just wanted to point out my favorite soda is Jolly Good Cream Soda, number one. <laughs> okay. Do th- and they're coming back, and they're, I, in, the, they're in the stores. Check oh, them out. Because I, uh, I was going to say, do they still make Jolly Good? I mean, I remember Jolly Good oh, from growing up, but yeah, along with Grandpa Groff's. Yeah. I remember Grandpa Groff's, too, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Jolly Good. Yeah, they're yeah they're, they're in the stores. They're coming back out. They're making them, and a great time to, to go get it, because... What a better way to remember your childhood. Well, it, right? it, all it, those good memories growing up. Oh, camping it, it, and- exactly. No, it, thanks to no, it, it it all kind of comes back. Now, unfortunately, what happens sometimes is you have these memories of the stuff that you grew up with, and then you you get it, and you find gee, you really can't go home uh, again. You know, I, I I I you know, gee, I I remember this as being like really really great, and then you know you you have. The, the variation of you, boy, I'm not sure why I remembered why I like this um, so much. I will tell you one of the retro things that they really nailed. All right, when I was growing up as a child of the 70s and 80s, Schlitz beer, you know, and, and then what they did is they they started monkeying around with the different formulas for Schlitz, and they they always changed stuff, and I think they kind of ruined it. Well, they brought Schlitz back. I, the 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 formula that they are using for Schlitz is exactly it tastes the same at least to my recollection as you know drinking Schlitz in the, in the 70s and if i want a good refreshing kind of cheaper sort of beer it takes me back to to the 70s so um you know the the bottom line is if if you're drinking one of those obscure brands whether it's tab or whatever jeff my husband fell in love with pib 0 it has gotten to the point of looking online for stores in a two-hour radius so he can go buy a 12-pack. I haven't had Mr. Pib in decades, and I don't think I've ever had a Pib Zero. But, you know, I understand if you're passionate about it, you are passionate about it as well. In any event, if you're one of those tab heads that are out there, I'm sorry to be the bringer of bad news, but the product is disappearing. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Melissa Barkley, tell me what you just told me off the air because the the experience that you were having is similar to probably about a half dozen of our texters. And I might have an answer for you. Okay, so, what was I just saying? Sorry, we, we were I was talking about news. sodas. Oh yeah, sodas. So during the pandemic, um, I've had a really hard time finding Fresca. Fresca. Fresca is kind of my go-to drink because it's zero calories. It's a light grapefruit flavor. It's really nice. But I think they stopped producing it for a while because it wasn't a highly popular 
uh, soda group. You know, I mean, Coca-Cola obviously is out there, Pepsi, Sprite. But Fresca is kind of one that it's kind of off to the side, but it's my favorite. A a number of texters have raised that same point. They they talk about about Fresca. Fresca is made by Coca-Cola. I have the answer for you because a couple months ago, there was a Chicago Sun-Times reporter who, like you, loved Fresca. Fresca. And started noticing that Fresca had disappeared from the stores. And the guy probably with too much time on his hands, decided that he was going to try to track this down. And so he started calling Coca-Cola, calling Pepsi, et cetera, saying, what's going on with Fresca? Mm-hmm. You know, why can't I find this? And it, it boils down to what we were just talking about a couple minutes ago. For, first of all, there is a there's an aluminum can shortage that is out there now because what, what happened is it it, it 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 ties back into beer. Everything ties back into <laughs> beer because during the pandemic, with bars being closed and stuff, there was a rush on people buying beer at liquor stores, at grocery stores, etc. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, you had a lot of like the bottling facilities; they were operating at like a third capacity or half capacity, etc. Because of of the COVID stuff, so they prioritized stuff. So tin cans were going to be made out there there that they were the the aluminum cans the priority was different types of beers mm-hmm. even matter of fact um there's a gal i know who's a bar manager she says even certain types of beers we can't get oh, anymore in in cans we can get them in bottles but you can't get them in cans because they're still trying to catch up so you, you've got beer number one that, that's on the the thing like the light beers or, or whatever then so you got coca-cola facing an aluminum can shortage, and Coca-Cola looks at the stuff that they sell. Well, what do they sell? They sell regular Coke. They sell lots and lots of Diet Coke. So they have to, they were prioritizing, you know, what what we're going to do. And so the answer to your question is that they haven't discontinued Fresca. Well, thank God. Right. So (laughs) your nightmare is not kicked in. They've not discontinued Fresca, but you might have to, at least short term, look harder for it. That's a good point because I looked at Walmart, I looked at Pick and Save, I looked at Syndex, and then I found uh, it was Fresca, but it wasn't really like the grapefruit kind. It was Blackberry Fresca. I never had that. I don't know. It was okay. It doesn't but even sound I, good. It was fine, but yeah, you you have a hard time finding <laughs> Fresca. I don't know. Right. But 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 in any event, I, they they have not discontinued it. Good. It's just kind of a lower priority. So when they bring back Fresca, you know, you'll I'll I buy just, a whole bunch. You'll buy if you ever, if you ever find it you get your hands on it again this is a pro tip from the pachinski family mostly from my mother if you ever make uh, old fashions at home use that as your as your souring and it is it is delicious oh that sounds good Okay, you're, we're putting Fresca in old fashioned. Oh yeah, some people use different like different type of sours, like fifty fifty sure. or squirt or something like that. Fresca is the one right. that my mom always uses. Uh, apparently, you can find. As a matter of fact, you can find diet squirt. You know, if you're looking, but but, that, but which is a Pepsi product. But but that's that's not the same. That's as, not, that's the, not same. the same. I've as tried Fresca. it. No. All right. Okay. Well, that's. I'm just trying to help there. So everybody you. out there who's texting me about what about Fresca? Fresca is still around there. Tab Tab is history. Fresca is still around. You just might have to look a little bit. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. We have Halloween coming up at the end of the month. We will discuss that. If not on today's show, we'll discuss it sometime probably next week. And then after Halloween, what happens? Thanksgiving. 
I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays of the year. Just absolutely love it, love everything uh, about it. And in in our family, there's kind of a little tradition now. Um, on on the night before Thanksgiving, that that Wednesday, my stepdaughter and, and son-in-law they they have a they have a party, and they they call it. It's actually kind of creative. They call it an old-fashioned Thanksgiving, which is where. People show up and they make old fashions. That that is the drink of of choice, and it's it it's actually it's quite a thing. I mean, we we go and and part of the thing you have there's a lot of people. They they will have historically they'll have fifty or hundred people in in their house, and it's it's friends and it's neighbors and it's relatives and it's things like that. And it's one of these sort of last man or last woman standing things. So they always take a picture when the party winds down, and I'm never there because my days of my days of you know. Being at a party at till one or two o'clock in the morning ended a long time ago. But they'll always take a picture of the people who were there last. But it, it's 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 a fun sort of event, and then it morphs into you know Thanksgiving Day, where if you are like me, you have the opportunity, you you, you get together, and sometimes people come to our house, sometimes you know we'll we'll go to their house or whatever, and and we'll we'll have a get together, the traditional Thanksgiving dinner with. Um, my family with members of my wife's family and and occasionally you know there'll be a couple close friends of ours who will be invited as well typically i don't think the gatherings are my case i don't think they would normally exceed like 20 or 25 people but and and a lot of times they're they're smaller than that but they that's kind of thing it's family and it's close friends now that's the way it's been of course we know that in 2020 there there's Nothing is normal. And I bring this up because Dr. Anthony Fauci, he's back in the news again. Um, Two nights ago, he's on the CBS Evening News, and he's giving his warnings about the spiraling numbers of of COVID-19. And and, as I said earlier, and I sent out a tweet to this effect, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620, all across the world. People are, are dealing with a resurgence of of the virus, and and it's going to get worse probably before it gets better because at, as colder weather sets in, we go inside more, and what ends up happening is the virus spreads easier when you're inside than you do when it does when you're outside. You know, being outside isn't a silver bullet and doesn't guarantee it, but when you're inside in the closed area, the chances are that if somebody comes and they're sick, the chances of it spreading are, are greater. It's why we saw spikes in the numbers in, in some some in some warm weather states like uh, Florida and Texas and Arizona and California. It's why during the summer you saw huge spikes in the number of COVID cases and people were trying to figure out why. And the answer is a simple one. It's because in in Florida and in Arizona and in California and in Texas in the summer, it's really hot. And people aren't outside that much. I mean, I, my, I was talking about my friend Donna earlier on. They're, they're, they live in Scottsdale now. They're originally from here. She was saying earlier this year, it was 117 in Scottsdale. They said 117. She said, yeah, it was a, she said, you know, you said, I know this is going to sound stupid, but a uh, hundred, 
you know, 100's okay. You can live with a 105, you can live with 117, you know, you, you, you just don't go out anywhere. And, and so we had a really hot summer, so if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, everybody in, in Arizona, you know, they're not out in 117 degree weather, they are inside, just like people who live in Wisconsin are, we're inside now that, you know, the temperature, you know, rolls into the 30s or, or whatever. So you're going to see that spike. So anyhow, Dr. Fauci is talking about that. Well, you've got Thanksgiving coming up in a little bit over a month and on the CBS Evening News he cautions against gathering together in an indoor setting end quote with large groups of out of town guests he says it's quote unfortunate because that's the mo- such a sacred part of American tradition the family gathering around trans- Thanksgiving but that is a risk all right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. We don't have to make this decision today, but but pretty soon we're going to confront this issue. What is our Thanksgiving going to look like? Are you planning on changing your Thanksgiving plans? Now, I, I'm not sure I get a vote on this, but my vote would be, again, we at our at our Thanksgiving gatherings, it's we don't have people coming from all over the, the country. We have, you know, our, our immediate family or close friends, people that are in our immediate social circle anyhow. So if I get a vote, I, I'm I'm going to vote in favor of keeping, you know, the Thanksgiving as it is. Now, this giant party the night before, that's when I think I might end up taking a pass on if they even have it. But are you considering or contemplating changing your Thanksgiving plans? Are you not going to travel? Are you not going to have anybody over? Are you not going to have friends over? How are you going to react to Thanksgiving? If I get a vote, I'm, I'm hoping ours is the same as as usual. Because, again, the people we'd have over on Thanksgiving are people that I still interact with. But is that an unreasonable risk? And what are you going to do? 855-616-1620. We discuss next. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, as you look ahead, we've got Thanksgiving coming up. Thanksgiving is typically a time when people travel to visit relatives you know one of the busiest if not the busiest travel time of the year i think that's going to be dramatically different in some cases people go out to restaurants and for for thanksgiving dinner i think that's going to probably be different as well i mean i'm not sure that I'm not sure that people are going to be rushing out and being in a restaurant where you've got hundreds and hundreds of people in some like large dining hall for for Thanksgiving buffet. My guess is that that dynamic is going to change. But as far as hosting friends and family, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci is I think it's kind of fair to say he's advising against it. He's saying gathering together in an indoor setting with large groups of -of out-of-town guests is not a good thing. Shouldn't do it. It's unfortunate because that's such a sacred part of American tradition, the family gathering around Thanksgiving, but that is a risk. Now, I don't mean to be irresponsible. I don't encourage other people to be irresponsible, but I guess as I I look at this and I'm thinking, all right, if – 
if our family gathering would entail people in my what I will describe as my social circle. I mean, people that I, that I interact with. I mean, close friends that I see now, um, family members that I see now, even though they don't live in the same household. I, I don't I don't see myself changing that. And to the extent, again, I get a vote and I'm not sure I do. But to the extent I get a vote, I'd say, well, you know, I, I think we should go ahead and do this as normal. Now, if you're saying let's go ahead and have this party where we go to where there's a couple hundred people there, that's a whole different story. But as far as the okay let's show up for thanksgiving with the with your kids and the grandkids and you know with my brother and my nephew and my niece yeah i i think i think that's the way to go 855-616-1620 jeff we are doing the same thing we've done every year we're having my three daughters over all their families my cousin and my aunt and again that's the that's the social circle and that's to me that's the kind of living with covid it's the balance of it and and by the way I'm going to be counting on those people who are invited to the family Thanksgiving, and I'm going to include myself in this. If anybody's not feeling good, and I understand there's asymptomatic spreaders, I get that. But if if anybody's not feeling good, you wake up that morning, you got a sore throat, or you've got a fever, or any of these other symptoms, I, I'm counting on people to just stay home. I, I'm trusting those people to do the right thing, recognizing that there is a risk that somebody might show up and that they might have COVID and be in a position where they can pass it on without any of us knowing. But I guess that that's kind of the balancing there. Jeff, we have our adult children and their family. We've been doing things with them all spring and summer. They live in Oshkosh, which is a hot spot. We live in Hartford. Of course, if someone tests positive for COVID, we stay away from each other. But we are planning on Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. I mean, if we can work in our schools, why can't we have our holidays smartly? Wash your hands, people. That's Mary in Hartford. Jeff, my wife and I will not participate this year in any Thanksgiving gathering. Should we get through this pandemic, there will be opportunities in the future to resume the tradition. Jeff, our family has already canceled Thanksgiving and Christmas. The immediate family is spread out, plus several work in nursing homes and in the service industry, overcautious due to my parents' age, etc. And again, I, I mean, I respect I respect that. I'm just curious as to what people are going to do. Jeff, we're going to have the traditional Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving Day dinner, 28 people. We're not going to be cowering in fear in the house. Jeff, we will be not be changing a thing. We're going to have a large gathering as usual. Jeff, no changes for us, probably 16 to 20 people for Thanksgiving at my house. At this point, I think it is what it is is um you know yeah jeff if you're gathering for thanksgiving with family and friends you already see regularly that's probably okay but this isn't a good year to invite distant folks um only seen then well yeah i think that's i mean i think that's one of the factors that's there if i had all my relatives live around here but i mean if i had relatives who lived i don't know in in miami or whatever um, I think, especially given what's going on in Wisconsin now, they might be reluctant to come to Wisconsin, and, you know, I might be reluctant to have them come to Wisconsin. You know, I don't know how it's going to affect travel. It's one thing with the travel, but for many of us, again, the people that I would be seeing are people in my my bubble, as as it were. You know, it, it's the people that I interact with on a regular basis, and I guess if 
if I'm not afraid of going over to their house on a Thursday night and, and having a barbecue or something, why, why should I be afraid about seeing them, you know, on Thanksgiving Day? Jeff, we are only having our immediate family and my one aunt who doesn't have anyone else, which sounds even more awful as I say this, but she's worried about COVID. Um, so, um, we, we understand that, you know, she's reluctant to come, but she is going to be invited. Jeff, this is where the breakouts are happening now in small groups in homes. I am astonished that this many people are going to have so many people in their homes for the holidays. Let the spread continue. Well, it, it, I don't know that that's, it's small groups and in, in homes of, of family members. I, I think, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, gee, you know, you, you have, you know, 20 college kids that get together for a kegger in somebody's apartment. That, that's different than saying, okay, you know, we've got, you know, your family and your brother's family and your stepdaughter's family and, and, you know, people that you see on a regular basis and they're in your bubble coming over. And so I guess that's the balancing and people are going to have to figure it out for themselves. But this is, you know, this is an issue. Um, Jeff, my wife and I are vacationing in the Dominican Republic the week before Thanksgiving. My family has asked us to have a COVID-19 test before we come to Thanksgiving. And I think that might be, you know, that might be fair to ask that. Uh, let's see. Jeff, my 63-year-old wife and I, 66, will go to Naperville and take all the precautions for Thanksgiving unless our daughter calls it off. More importantly, we hope to have 11 grandkids over at a Halloween trick or treat. That is an eight-year tradition. Yeah, the Halloween issue is something completely separate. We'll talk about that in a while. All right. The 2 o'clock hour of the Friday program is coming up. We've got a lot of stuff on the agenda, including something else that happens in a couple weeks. I will explain. We will discuss. Please stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa Barkley. The presidential election is two and a half weeks from now, two weeks from Tuesday. Do you know what happens two days before that? In other words, two weeks from Sunday. You always do this to me, Jeff. I do. I and and, and you you are you're so, you're good natured and you play along and Gosh. I appreciate that. Is it election sitting, related? You're sitting there thinking. Gosh, you know, he could at least tell me (laughs) off the air before he just, like, sets off on this stream of consciousness stuff. Oh, okay. Do you know what happens two days, uh, two two weeks from Sunday? Two weeks from Sunday. Um... Let me look on the calendar. Uh, uh, the, no, the only hint. No, no, the only hint I can give you okay, is it is something it. like the presidential election. It will affect everybody. It affects you. It affects me. It affects producer Gru. It affects everybody. Hmm. You can say no. I don't. I don't know. Daylight saving oh, time ends. Okay. Now I, I am. There are people who love the onset of winter. I, I don't happen to be one of them, even though I, I choose to, to live here. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't. And and there, there's a lot of stuff that, that bothers me about late fall. And I understand people love the colors and the changes. I, I get all that. I understand that. But, but you know, the, the fact that, gosh, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to eat outside, you know, anymore. The fact that I can't play golf around here for, for a month. The fact that, you know, you, you have some of these days where it's just kind of a struggle when you have to go out and walk the dog. All those different types of things. It's, I, I'm not a fan. There's all sorts of things I'm not a fan of. But one of the things that I like the least about the onset of winter is the fact that it 
it gets dark so damn early. Yeah, you don't get uh, a lot of sunlight out there. Even now, I get out of work and it's dark out right. after six, six thirty. It's it's you know at least dusk. Um, well, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, right. And it, and yeah, it's, and it's going to change a lot in two weeks. Well, right, because again, the, the daylight hours are getting shorter, mm-hmm. and then you know, two weeks from Sunday, when you you lo- and I get it, I understand you get the hour in the morning, but you you lose that. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll be in a period of time where, in the not too distant future. It's it's dark at five o'clock or five fifteen, right? Yeah, yeah as you get closer. And I just, I absolutely, and I admit it, it's just a matter of personal preference. I, I don't like the fact that you know you get off of work and it's dark. It's it, it bothers me. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have a hard time with the adjustment. You know, it can be hard on your your rhythm of your body, the way sleep you pattern, sleep sure. patterns, the way you yeah, the way you just do things. Sometimes it takes about a week to get used to it. I find the springtime. Jump forward, spring ahead. That's a little bit tougher than the fall back, but that's huh. just me. Which brings me to our next topic. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, two weeks from now, we we fall back. So um, it will be lighter earlier in the morning, but it will be darker uh, much sooner in the evening, which means, like I say, in the not too distant future, you're talking it's dark at 4:30 or whatever. I would prefer, just a matter of personal preference, I would prefer us to have daylight savings time all year around. And I understand that means darker in the morning. It means kids at the bus stop when it's still dark. I understand that, but you know what? I I just I'd rather have that hour. I don't want to lose an hour of light for four months. And, of course, the the trend has been to keep daylight saving time longer. I mean, now... It's it, it used to be like like five and a half months. It, it's not a, a 50-50 proposition. Uh, November 1st is when we go to day, we, we we go back to standard time. We lose daylight saving time and then we'll pick it up again in in early March. Why don't we just do it year round? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't it be better not having to fool with this? 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I vote for just keeping it like it is, daylight saving time the whole year round. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. Two weeks from Sunday, we lose daylight saving time. It is the fall back. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's just time to leave it like it is. Um, number of texts. Jeff, I believe Illinois is staying on daylight savings time, not reverting on 11-2. Should be interesting for commuters in southeastern Wisconsin. Jeff, leave the change. Waking up in pitch dark is awful for the whole winter. For regular people who work 9 to 5, the extra hour at night means absolutely nothing. Jeff, six years old, waiting at the bus stop in the dark. Um, okay, well, here's the thing. Um, December 1st, for example, that the sun doesn't rise until uh, until seven o'clock in the morning anyhow. So lots of kids are at the bus stop before that. So they're going to be in the dark 
regardless. Um, Jeff, as you say, personal preference. I am a true early-to-bed, early-to-rise person and would much prefer all standard time. Exercise walking every morning in the dark is not as energizing as walking just after sunrise. Jeff, I completely agree. I'm a morning person, but I prefer keeping it like it is. Um, middle ground and getting the getting my girls up and going, but I love it later when the sun sets. Jeff, I don't like it getting dark early either, but I think it would be less having the sun come up at 8-something in the morning in December, so I think this is the best we have. I say leave it alone. Jeff, split it by half an hour and call it quits. I'll vote for any candidate who runs on that. Jeff, I lived in both Hawaii and Florida. I would say the daylight savings is saving is great due to the fact that you get more time in the evening at night that the light is out, especially when I lived in Alaska. That was dreadful to lose an hour of light. Then the sun sets in Anchorage around 3 o'clock p.m. in the winter. Um, let's see. Jeff, I work 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. November to March. I only see sunlight on my day off. I prefer daylight savings time year-round or split the difference by a half hour and be done changing clocks. Jeff, I'm with you. Do it, please. Jeff, um, I, I find the whole changing thing to be mentally confusing. Jeff, uh, daylight savings time year-round would be great in Wisconsin, but that requires Congress or the president to act in order to stay that way. I am a conservative, but I would vote for Joe Biden if he did that. Um, hmm. Um, Jeff, we absolutely should stay on daylight savings time. Getting dark at 4.30 p.m., no Thank you. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Chris in Madison. Hi, Chris. Hi, uh, Jeff. I love this one. This is a great, great uh, topic. Well, it affects um, everybody, I, and everybody has an opinion. <laughs> I, I just tell you, I I heard an old proverb a long time ago, and it's uh, it was a Native American that said, only the European man will cut a foot off of the top of his blanket, sew it to the bottom of his blanket to keep his feet warm. Um you know, you're going to pull the blanket up anyway, feet are going to still be cold. You know, it's just uh, leave it alone, <laughs> you know, and uh, adjust. Start school a little later in the day, you know. It, uh, it, it, that's just my two cents. Okay, so by leave it alone, you would make no changes. You'd continue to do the spring ahead and the fall back and that sort of stuff. You'd keep it just like it is. Yes. Okay, all right, thank you. Well, I, I mean, no, I mean, and, and there's – look, look I, I don't – I don't buy into the, well, gee, it's a pain to kind of reset the clocks. Well, it's, it's a little bit of a pain, but, you know, generally speaking, nowadays, it's pretty much automatic. I mean, most of the stuff you have, the computers update that, you know, all anything that's digital, it, it updates automatically. <clears throat> For me, it, it's just a matter of preference. The question is, do you want to have that hour earlier on in the morning or do you want to have it in, in the evening? And I look, I understand the most compelling argument to me against going to daylight saving time. And, and, and yes, I, I know it's daylight saving time. Occasionally when I'm presenting this in my rush, I add that S. I know it's not daylight savings time. Um, daylight saving time, the, the most compelling argument to, to me to falling back is the fact that, you know, for kids who are standing out at the school bus, um, you, you, you'd like it to be light. I'm just sure in the dead of winter whether, you know, the, I, depending on what time the kids are waiting for the school bus, even doing it, I'm not sure, makes any difference. Let's talk to Taylor in Greenfield. Taylor, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Happy Friday. Same to you, uh, sir. Uh, first of all, I do agree with having uh, that extra day uh, or that extra hour of daylight in the evening. I agree with you, and I would like to see that year-round. 
But uh, I have to uh, take exception to your comments a moment ago about changing the clocks. Maybe I'm a dinosaur, but I have about a dozen of them in my house, and almost all of them have to be reset manually. And I'm telling you, it probably takes me a good hour each time to do so. Really? And some of the clocks are fairly high on the wall, and uh, occasionally I have issues with the uh, fasteners falling off. Oh, jeez. So, okay. I, I was, now, you were saying that, and I was trying to think in, okay, we have... In in the bedroom, I've got like an alarm. I've got a like a radio alarm clock uh, that I that I have to change manually. Have to do it with the timer on the the uh, the microwave. And yeah, I, I, I probably got four in, in my house. You know, the the clocks that just don't change automatically. I guess and and the rest take care of it. But I, an hour it really takes an hour to change all those clocks. Yes, it does. I'm not exaggerating. And uh, like I said a dozen of them. Um I think about the only one that changes automatically. I still have an older converter box on one of my TVs. <laughs> right. But well, all the rest of them, even my clock radios, I guess they're yeah. old enough that I have to change them manually also. Well, uh, I, I guess my only advice is... So you, you feel know, my pain, I hope. I, I, no, I do. No, thank, I, exactly. No, I, I get it. No, thanks for calling. And, and inevitably, a, at least, let's see, with... With there, there is there there is one clock in our house, one of the AM/FM clocks, that w- whenever I have to go to change the time, I, I always have to. Th- it, it is not the way it is set up. It is not intuitive. It should be just these. All I want to do is you know advance it an hour or, or take an hour away. It should be intuitive. I have one clock that I swear whoever designed and drew up the thing, they um. They just said, let's try to make this as difficult as it possibly can be for someone. And, and so inevitably, I do especially feel your pain because whenever I have to adjust this clock or like if the power ever has a like an outage or something and I've got to reset the thing, it always takes me at least five minutes to remember how it is that you do it, at least on this one particular clock. In any event, um, public service announcement, daylight saving time ends two weeks from Sunday be prepared to fall back. The good news is you get an extra hour to do whatever it is that you want to do that Saturday night into Sunday morning. So spend your time wisely. You're going to pay for it in the spring. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I was watching some TV reports yesterday of this this rally that they had in Wauwatosa at, at Hart Park. This was this rally that was sponsored. They called it the Rally for Justice, and in, in part, it was sponsored by a musician, you know, Jay Z, his social justice group, and various other groups. I, I I was watching the TV reports. Actually, I was stunned by how few people showed up. I mean, they had it, it wasn't it wasn't hundreds, it wasn't thousands, it was it was dozens. And, you know, they, they heard a lot of the usual suspects who were demanding that Officer Joseph Mensa be fired. They were demanding that the police chief, Barry Weber, be fired. And, and, and you know, I, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, these people really don't have a clue. I, I guess I, I can, and I have said repeatedly over the course of the last week or so, I give Wauwatosa officials an A for how they handled the protests and everything connected with the 
the activities that occurred on the streets following the decision last week by the district attorney not to issue criminal charges against Joseph Mensah, which in and of itself is an understandable, it's the only decision that you could come down to. And, and yes, I understand that there were some people who were whining and complaining that, gee, we had we had too much of a police presence. They, they didn't let people get out of hand. They didn't let people light dumpsters on fire. They didn't let people overturn cars. They didn't let people throw bricks and frozen water bottles at cops. They didn't let people burn buildings. They didn't let people break windows. To which I say, yeah, yeah, that that's that's the way it should be. And yes, they impose a curfew of seven o'clock. And if you decide, hey, it's seven o one, we're going to march into Wauwatosa. Well, all right, you know, you are doing that for the purpose of trying to provoke a response from the police. And I actually think the response was incredibly proportional. But you have some people who are upset about this. And again, it's like you, you've got to fire Joseph Mensa. To which, all I would say, including some of the people who are saying this, they're, they're, they're lawyers and things like that. It's like, all right, don't you understand how this process works? I have said before that that Wawasosa police officer, Joseph Mensa, I think it would be best for all concerned were he to leave the force. I think that the public profile and fair or unfair, the fact that he's been subject of all these protests, I think it makes it very difficult, fairly or unfairly, for him to move to, to move to do his job moving on. That said, that's a far cry from having a legitimate basis that's going to up stand up in court for firing the guy. And it's why if I were the mayor and I were members of the Fire and Police Commission and I was the city attorney, what I would be doing is I would sitting de- be sitting down with Officer Mensa's attorney, and I would be saying, hey, can we negotiate some sort of settlement where, you know, you we, we, we all move on? Because I, I think most people would agree that that's probably the best situation. As far as firing the police chief, Barry Weber, my goodness gracious. I, I mean, really, you have, if you look at some of the communities that have had unrest and what has happened you you look at the job that chief weber did and, and yeah i i understand that he hasn't given into the the small mob who's demanded that mensa be fired and things like that but beyond that i mean okay he hasn't fired the guy in giving into again the demands from a loud small group of people but that that's not a basis for himself to for him to lose his job now chief weber has been there forever he's eligible to retire my guess is sometime in the next 6 months or a year or whatever he's he's probably going to retire of his own accord but this idea fire him fire mensa seriously give me a break the protests outside the mayor's house give me a break authorities in Wauwatosa that they get they, they get a solid A for how they have handled things, particularly things over the course of the last week. And despite the fact that a small group of people doesn't like it, bottom line is you're not going to ple- be able to please everybody. But I think Wauwatosa authorities did a pretty darn good job and deserve a lot of credit for what they've done before. And I, I think they deserve some patience as they try to figure out where do we go next. This is Jeff Wagner.